Uh, we're in our series, Reimagining Foundations, and it's all been about what it means to be a disciple. What does it really mean to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus? And uh, I, I'm really aware, super aware as I approach my topic today that I am preaching to the converted. I'm going to talk about the, the, the need for disciples to be connected and in relationship. And so I'm figuring that a lot of you are here. So I'm preaching to the converted. I'm preaching to people that understand that. But I think we do need to understand why we believe what we believe. It needs to have a scriptural basis. We don't just get together because it's fun to be together, although I think most of the time it is. I think it is. But it goes way, way deeper than that. And so I want to look at this foundational concept of what it is to be connected as God's people and as disciples of Jesus. Because, you know, the, the whole post-COVID thing, we all know there's been a shift in our world. There had to be. You know, if advertising works, and they know it does, because billions are poured into it, so we know advertising works. If it works indeed, then being told certain things and certain things being thrown out at us for two years solid about separation and isolation and danger, danger, it has to have a profound effect on us. Um, most of us, I think, not all of us, but most of us feel like the world's a little bit different. And maybe we feel that we feel a bit different about the world. And I just suggest that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we have heard and, uh, and, and I'm not trying to dish any of it. I'm not trying to say it was bad, good, bad or indifferent. I'm just saying, when you get the same message repeated and hammered and hammered and hammered, it shifts the way you think. And so I think it's probably really appropriate uh, to, you know, to address this in a sense because the whole COVID thing, there was a massive reset in the way that we think about things and lots of people dislocated from one another, dislocated from things that they were previously involved in, whether that was sporting, from sporting clubs to churches. There was a massive rethink and for some people that was a healthy thing maybe if they'd made themselves so busy in life that they felt they didn't have a life. Uh, if that's a disconnect to, to, to simply become maybe more pleasure-seeking and entertainment orientated, then I don't think that's healthy at all. I think we've got to somehow understand that as human beings, we do need to be connected. We do need to balance our lives, that's for sure. Um, the one thing that I know was that the church, it's, it was most affected in the area of reaching out and, and seeing people that had never found faith in Christ before find faith. If I looked at all the things that were affected for us, that was the number one thing that concerned me the most. Uh, it was very hard to reach out to people. It was hard to have meals and be in other people's homes for a while there. It was hard to invite someone to gatherings of people. Those things were really difficult. For some people, they still find it difficult. And so there was this massive shift. And so we, we went from seeing a continuous stream of people making uh, commitments and decisions for faith to really just seeing a trickle and ones and twos every now and then. And we went online and we did our best and we tried to preach the gospel. And But I tell you what, it, the, the funny thing is, now that we're sort of really back in the swing of gathering together, we're starting to see people make those decisions again. 
starting to see people come to faith and new people come on the fringes of the church because they're coming onto the fringes of our lives. We seem to be letting people back in again. And to me, it's like that is just such a powerful thought. Even though we, I think, were preaching the gospel pretty well online, digitally, etc., the main way Jesus has communicated is still with with God with skin on, God in his people, Christ incarnate in us, doing life with other people, journeying with people. Even as we come together and we worship together and the room resonates, who found out it's really different in the room? Well, we do our best online to accommodate, but it's different. There is something different and tangible about actually being together. And I can't help but think that it's, it's rooted in simple biblical concepts and passages of Scripture that we can just see so clearly. So I want to speak to us today about the disciple is connected. This is the topic. The disciple. You want to know what a disciple is and what it is to follow Jesus? The disciple is connected. And I'm going to Acts chapter 2. And uh, this is a, you know, a great passage. It's probably maybe one of the earliest snapshots of the New Testament community, the, uh, the, the emerging church. And it's Acts chapter 2, of course, uh, following on straight after the day of Pentecost. And uh, it says in verse 42, And they continued, talking about these new believers, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to them, to the church daily, those who were being saved. It's quite an amazing passage of scripture. As I said, it's maybe one of the earliest snapshots. So um, a few weeks ago, we looked at Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit and God empowering his people to, to go out. And as part of that, on that day of Pentecost, thousands came to faith in Christ. Thousands in one day. And this is a bit of a snapshot of how they then began to function in community, although it probably wasn't a beginning to function in community. It was a continuation of their Jewish roots. They were just doing it for Jesus and gathered around Jesus. So the church was not a new thing. It was simply biblical community now focused on the Messiah. Can we understand that? Like that these were all Jewish people that we're talking about now, the great bulk of them, some on the day of Pentecost, there were people from all other nations there, but they were all there for the feast. So they were people that had that Jewish thought in mind. And, uh, and when I look at it, it's just this amazing sort of bit of a passage where they come together, they come under, uh, you know, the apostles' teaching, God's doing amazing things among them. They are, and this always freaks people out, they sold what they had at times to give to people who had need. You know, in a society with, um, with probably a flawed uh, social security system, even though it was probably the best in the ancient world, Jesus ran head to head with it all the time. 
Well, that's where he says things like, um, you avoid fulfilling the law because you call what you've got Corban, so you won't look after your elderly parents. In other words, you dedicate stuff to the temple so you don't have to look after your parents and you can enjoy it all your life and when you die, then you'll give it to the temple. Holding, you know, holding back, looking after elderly. So there was, a, there was meant to be a social security system, but Jesus went head to head to it with it often because it wasn't happening. And then the spirits poured out and all of a sudden, everyone's needs are getting met. There's a spirit of generosity. People were just willing to make it happen. Now we live in a very different society. We do have lots of checks and balances. That's why I've, I've often wondered when people go, I want to get back into New Testament community and they sell everything and go and live in a commune. That happened a bit in the 70s and 80s. Everyone ends up with no faith and no money. That's what ends up. Um, but right here, there's this, this flow. God pours out his spirit. They gather around. They meet together. And in the middle of that, God is moving and doing things. Needs are being met. They're in prayer. They're in what the scripture says, the word fellowship, which we'll look at that word so they're together, they're eating together, and in the middle of all that, what I love, the bottom line is, God was adding daily those who were having a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. It, it actually was the church flourishing and functioning, but the end goal was never the church. It was people outside coming in. So the church was healthy and alive and just bearing fruit every day. Man, if that was ever the picture of the church I wanted to be part of, there it is right there. Imagine, imagine if every time you came to church you bumped into someone who was just a new Christian one week. Every time you came, oh, they're a new Christian. Wouldn't it be wonderful if new Christians became an old thing? Oh, they're just everywhere. Yeah, well, he's been around three weeks. That guy's been around two weeks and that girl's been around one. Take your pick. I love it. New believers always add life to the church. And often we, we overlook that even in the New Testament church where it's like, oh, well, of course, it was all the power of the Spirit. Except it was that. But just imagine a church where every day new faces were turning up and falling in love with Jesus. Wow. I reckon that's worth aiming at. Here's a couple of thoughts. The first phrase that, that um, Luke, Dr. Luke writes is that they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. I don't know, I never had to be taught this. You know, when I became a new believer, uh, it just seemed, it seemed common sense to me that I would need to be around other people who were on the same journey that I just, I just needed to lock in. I sort of understood the concept of the, the coals in the fire thing really early on. You know, you get a fire with all the coals. If you scatter the, fire, the coals, the fire goes out. If you heap the, fire, the coals together, the fire gets hotter and brighter. And I sort of understood that, that that was sort of a great analogy for God's people um, and just need, our need to be together. It, as dysfunctional as we can be at times, Although I think we're relatively functional. But, you know, if you ever meet someone who's dysfunctional in church, I mean, welcome to the party. That's humanity. You'll meet them at a sporting club as well. 
Uh, so if you meet a hypocrite in church, it's okay. They're everywhere outside the church as well. We often say that as if the church is the only place they live. My goodness, it's humanity. And as broken as it is, it's beautiful. And I think one of the first revelations we can get is to stay steadfast. To actually just keep showing up. Continue steadfastly. And whenever I hear someone, it's like, oh, I don't need to be, a, be in church to be a Christian. Well, if you read Ephesians 3.10, you don't need to be in church to be a Christian, but you will miss the whole purpose of God for your life if you aren't. Because Ephesians 3.10 says the whole purpose of God is that he might display his wisdom through the church. So if that's his whole purpose, where are you ever going to find yours outside of his Does that make sense? And so to continue steadfast, to be steadfast about something's not a bad thing. Then it tells us some of the things that they were steadfast about. The first one was the apostles' doctrine. So I could put it this way, and I want to to phrase this as, this is how we're connected. If a disciple's connected, well, this is how they were connected in the early church. They were connected through beliefs. What they believed. They had those things in common. And it makes me ask the question, have you ever asked the question, why church services? And especially post-COVID, like, is it relevant? Come on, if you've never asked that question, you've never really been serious. You've got to seriously question everything. And, and of course, it's about proclamation. Of course, it's about teaching and training and discipleship. It is about that. But, gee, um, you can get lots of that anywhere nowadays. Although I must say, boy, there's some poor quality stuff out there. You know, there's some of the best stuff in the world on the Internet. And there's some of the worst stuff in the world on the Internet. It's, uh, it really is an, an interesting thing. And this is why I actually think we need to gather Interestingly enough, we have said for years, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And really the message has been, read your Bible by yourself. We used to even call it a quiet time. Get aside and do your own thing with God. And I think personal time with God is very important. I totally affirm that. I want to read you a New Testament scripture that's really interesting in light of the fact that we're all being urged to read our Bibles by ourselves. 2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. (laughs) I'm not saying stop journaling. We encourage you to journal. But that's why I encourage you into life groups to share your journal with other people. See, the way Hebrews read the scriptures or the the Jewish people read the scriptures, they were always in community. They read them in community. One of the earliest uh, uh, synagogues that's been excavated in Ephesus, one of the earliest uh, Gentile synagogues, they believe, in Ephesus, and it had four pulpits. It's a room. It's only as big as the average lounge room. It's got four pulpits. And they believed that four rabbis would come with their little string of disciples. They would all teach around the one pulpit and then they would cross-pollinate across the room. See, no scripture is of private interpretation. It is wonderful to read your Bible, but then you need to be sharing what you're thinking with someone. And that's what actually keeps us on track. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and teaching. It meant that they weren't doing their own thing. And if church services are about anything, generally it's just about a bit of teaching that maybe just ties us back to some of the basics. 
I don't know whether you see that in this series. I'm not getting a lot of feedback. You okay? We just sort of tie ourselves back and anchor ourselves back to like a a, a corner post so we know where we are. Because if you're out there with your own private interpretation, I mean, there is some wonderful stuff out there and there is some really dumb stuff out there. Uh, Last COVID season is just an illustration. Some of the things that were said and have not been repented of and won't be repented of. People will just go underground and wait for the next dumb thing to arise and then they'll stick their banner on that and fly that flag and there's never accountability. No one's ever challenged on it and no one ever repents of their false concepts. Just an observation. Been around since Y2K, the blood moons, all of that stuff. Why, why do we gather? It's just to try and put a peg in the ground where it's a bit accountable, you know me, I kind of know you, you get to see my wife and family and you, you sort of know who I am, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of accountability in that and, uh, and then we look at the scriptures together and if you ever really desperately disagree with me, you're always welcome to come and talk to me. Okie dokie, so disciples, <laughs> hold truth together. We hold truth together. Not one of us has got everything. That's why we need one another. That's why uh, Paul teaches on the body of Christ. We're not all an eye or an ear. We'll all see it different. We'll all do it differently. And the fact is our world needs us to. But when we come together as a collective, we become more whole. Second thing is fellowship. That's an old word, isn't it? This is, this is how they were connected. You know, you know what fellowship takes? It costs you time. They were connected by time. They gave time to actually be together. And fellowship is an old term. Uh, the Greek word is actually koinonia, which means communion. We get words like communion from it. But straight out of the English dictionary, this is what fellowship means. Companionship comradeship, camaraderie, friendship, mutual support, association, togetherness and solidarity. I don't think any of those things are offensive terms, are they? I think all of that sounds like, man, I'd like some of that in my life. I'd like some mutual support. I'd like some comradeship. I'd like some camaraderie. Our early morning prayer meeting before we start the services is, is definitely typical of that. And you're all welcome to come if you want to come to church. What time is that? Nine o'clock, you can be at the prayer meeting before the, uh, before the service. Um, the breaking of bread is the next thing. So they met together. That's, that's all I wanted to say. Fellowship means they met together. You know, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, like failing to gather regularly is just a bad habit. Don't do that. Right of Hebrews, pretty simple. Don't get in the habit of not gathering together regularly. Disciples meet together. And then they were breaking bread. This is one we should all love. We're in a foodie culture, aren't we? Literally, they were connected with food. They were. They were connected 
at a common table and it wasn't just a communion table. You know, there's different passages of scripture that allude to the fact that it was actually quite a feast. Some of the early church writings tell us that it was a love feast. An agape love feast where you got to love one another and eat together and rejoice and remember what Jesus had done. And somehow, you know, communion, I guess because of, uh, you know, the way we do church now and it's, it's, it's pretty quick. I mean, we could have those if you want to come to church for four hours on a Sunday, we could do that. I could arrange that. But, you know, it's come down to being a little bit sterile, a little bit clinical with our little cups and our little bread, whereas Paul actually exhorts the church, as often as you eat and drink, remember the Lord. Communion's not some special thing that the priest does, but actually whenever you get together and you eat and drink, then remember the Lord. Put Jesus at the centre of your table. And that's how disciples are connected. And so I, I love life groups that actually do it really. Some of our life groups go, go to extremes. But they, you know, they do. They eat together or they meet out and they will eat somewhere. E- even just a coffee is nice. But uh, we've got groups in the church that occasionally just, you know, we won't have group. We're just going to go and eat a meal together. And it's like, I think that is so biblical. So biblical. Just to do that. Disciples are connected around Food, it's nothing new. As a matter of fact, every Bible covenant has a meal. You see meals at every Bible covenant from the most, you know, um, what could I say, Um, earthy ones like Abraham cutting an animal in two, right through to Jesus sitting down at the Passover meal and breaking bread saying, this is my body that is given for you. Every covenant revolved around a meal. A meal says something to God that it doesn't always say to us. I mean, we get a glimpse of it. When you have a really good time with people around a table, you get a little bit of a glimpse of it. But I don't know, God sort of understands communion on a level that we just don't, I think. That we will know one day, but we're not, not fully, uh, it's not, our eyes aren't fully open to it right now. I remember there was a time in churches where coffee shops in the foyer and that were poo-hooed. I can remember dumb Facebook posts, you know, we don't need coffee, we've got the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm like, why wouldn't you have both? If our whole culture, think about it, our whole culture has started to revolve around that. And if the church is no more or no less than the incarnation of Christ in culture, it means the church has got to be found in coffee shops unless it wants to be irrelevant. Is that true? Or is that true? And we had that big fight, some of us are old enough to remember, in the 70s and 80s with music. Can you have drums in church? Gee, I wish we'd settled that in one day instead of 15 years and 150,000 church splits? Like, how dumb can you be and still breathe arguing about things that have no spiritual impact whatsoever? But to move in a culture, you have to meet the culture where it's at, and the church is perfectly positioned for that in a food and coffee culture. We're perfectly positioned to connect around food, not just with other disciples, but with our community with our friends, with our loved ones, and not think that it's not a spiritual thing to do. I think it's actually really spiritual to sit down, 
and have a meal. We had a meal with our neighbours last week. I was going to fill you in on the story, wasn't I? My neighbour asked an interesting question. It went quite well, actually. Really went, I thought it went really, really well. And then I followed that up with another conversation this week with someone who said, I'm an atheist. He said, I said, I've been working. He said, what have you been doing today? He was 85. What have you been doing today? I said, I've been working on an old car. He said, oh, what did you do for a living? And I said, uh, well, I'm a minister now, but I used to be in the motor trade. He spung back to the minister bit. And he said, um, he said, I admire you, you know, you can have faith and you can believe that stuff. I'm an atheist. And I said, well, I admire you because your beliefs are really strong. He didn't know what to say. And I said, actually, most people I know that don't believe in God, they wouldn't go as far as saying that they're actually an atheist. They'd just say they're on the fence, the jury's out or whatever. They'd be more agnostic than atheists. I don't often meet atheists, so I'd really like to talk to you about that. So guess who I'm having a conversation with next week? <laughs> and, but, but again, just meeting with people, engaging the community, disciples are connected. They're not isolated. They're not isolated from one another or from the community. Disciples eat together. Now, everyone should amen that. Everyone should find that an easy point. Okay, I'm going to finish up now. Prayers. Disciples are connected through prayer. You know, we've already practised a little bit of that in the, in the simplest of way. As I said, in the invite to a pre-service prayer meeting, I understand most people can't be here a half hour early. But honestly, there is just something about it when God's people pray. You know, Levi was saying, he was talking to someone this week who said, it's fast becoming my favourite element of church, even though the preaching's awesome. But it's actually a pre-service prayer meeting is fast becoming my favourite part of church. And I'd have to nearly agree. There's just something about people opening in their hearts in faith together that joins you to them. When you hear someone else pray, when you hear the vulnerability of another human heart connecting with God, there is something so powerful about that. So disciples pray together. And it says here they held all things in common. I wanted to land on the difficult one. They held all things in common. As I said earlier, it was incredibly pertinent in Jesus' day. You know, when we did not have the social structures that we tend to have now, the safety nets that we tend, if they meant to have them, they were all in their law, but they were being largely ignored, it would seem, in Jesus' day. And he challenged that continuously. But the whole broader principle was that you see in the book of Acts is the power of collective. Just the power of doing things together. And I, I point to our missions program as a classic example of that. We could look at buildings. We could look at our, you know, our footprint in the community. But actually our missions program, how could, can, let me ask you this question. How could you touch several nations at once by yourself? You just couldn't. You know, when, when Afghanistan fell and the Taliban took over and there was, you know, mad scramble to get people out, we were all watching that on the news. If you were anything like me, you felt the frustration and the, ah, we got to do so. Someone's got to do something. Knowing that Christian believers were about to have the hammer put down on them in that nation. But what could we have done by ourselves? But because we're actually not just this collective, but we're part of another 
bigger collective, about a thousand churches, we were able to directly communicate with people who've been on the ground in Afghanistan for 30 years. And we as a collective, within, I'm not sure now, I think it was two weeks, put $40,000, tens of thousands of dollars right onto the ground, right into the hands of people who could meet need. And that's an ongoing thing. And I just couldn't do that by myself. I find myself staring at the TV screen, frustrated, angry, and not sure what to do. And sometimes it just gets easier to change the channel (laughs) because it's just too painful to watch some of it. But actually together, we can do significant things. And we are doing. We have for 20-something years. I've never totaled it up, never got anyone to go back through books and systems change, programs change. So we've probably lost some of the information. But now what we've put on the field, uh, you know, what New Hope has, has put on the field, would run into millions and millions of dollars that have gone out of this community to touch lives all over the world Stuff we could never just dream to do by ourselves, but collectively we can. And that's what these guys realised. That, man, we are together and these things that have been needs in our community for so long, we're just going to meet them. We're going to let generosity flow out of our hearts and we're going to meet need. I love that. One of the reasons that I'm really excited about childcare is, you know, we've got a childcare centre right on the corner. You might think, why do we need to do that? Well, of the hundreds of children that are enrolled there, there's a waiting list nearly every day of the week to get in. If you look at our government websites on needs in a community that show you those services that are required, our area, one of the reasons we came here, our area is in the red on almost every level. It's under-resourced. That's no surprise to anyone who's lived in Toowoomba all their life, that's for sure. And we're just like in the most needed community. One of the reasons I think it's so exciting to be childcare is not just great facilities for our kids, but it's actually connection to the community, meeting a very, very real need at this end of town. Man, it's just stuff that we can do together. Disciples connect around resource. And, you know, often, you know, not often, but occasionally you hear this question. What's the church do for me? Well, I mean, I hope it does do something. I hope there's value in it. I hope you get encouraged. I hope you get inspired. I hope you get helped in some ways, practically. But it's still the wrong question to ask. Because the church is not God's resource for us. We're God's resource for the world. Again, the book of Acts, it ends with people being added daily, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they'd encountered the goodness of God through his people. That's the mission. That's where it ends up. And if it ever just becomes about us being comfortable in here and having a nice time, the, be- the end has begun at that point. This is always about those outside of ourselves. Those early disciples knew it. And they lived in community, they connected, whether it was around food, whether it was around meeting needs, whether it was uh, whatever, around the other things, prayer, etc. They just connected and let God be God in their midst. And it was enough to change people's lives. That's the church I want to be part of. That's what, that's what I want God to do amongst us. So could we pray as we finish today? 
and make that our prayer. Now, before we do, I just want to ask one question. Just one question for us to apply the message personally. Because I know I'm preaching to the converted. But let's just take a little, a little survey of our own hearts. Where does my life intersect and connect with the life of others? Around beliefs. Around time. Around meals. Around faith. I would say prayer, but I'll say faith, a release of faith. Where am I believing with someone for something? And around resource. Where do our lives intersect the lives of others? It's just a good question to ask ourselves.